We are walking our way through scripture, and today we are at the book of Esther, which should have been a lot of fun to read this week. Job, let me give you a couple of hints on Job, when you get to Job. It is good to read Job with two or three different versions, and the reason is it's a very, very ancient book, uh, more ancient than most of the rest of the Old Testament, frankly. We'll talk about that next week, perhaps, if we have time. But it also, uh, because it's so old, the Hebrew is difficult, and the translation is a bit difficult. So it's best not just to read it in your favorite, but to read it in two or three very different ones. Cut out there, I'm back, all right, fair enough. Uh, he didn't like that point. point. Um, but to do that, and you, if you have time to, that really makes a difference. Now, let's talk about Esther. Esther, opening scene. I want to tell you a story. We're going to tell the story today. Opening scene, the palace at Susha, the headquarters, the, the capital city of Persia, and uh, 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 provinces, 127 provinces. Now, you're going to hear me say 127 a lot. And the reason is, I want you to understand how detailed an OCD Persians were. They wrote down everything thing. Everything. That's why when you hit a series of lists in the Old Testament, you're going, why do I need to know who made the fringe and then who made the tent and who made the pole and who carved that? Because when it was put together, Ezra was in Persia and Persians wrote down every detail. They were obsessive about this. How obsessive I hear you cry. Well, I have been in the British Museum many times and walked into huge rooms, much larger than this room, one after another, piled full of Persian carvings and manuscripts we haven't translated yet. Because there are too many, and they're boring. <laughs> oh my goodness, if you would like to know what the fourth king's cousin spent on chewing gum, it's in there. So when we read Esther, we're getting a little bit of break from this, but that's the world she lived in, and that's very important that you get that. Xerxes is the king. We need to talk about Xerxes. There wasn't a lot of brain power going on in Xerxes. Xerxes was a poster child for why we do not have hereditary rulers. Because every so often... You're going to get a bad one. Xerxes, well, let me just do it this way. Xerxes lost a big battle once, a naval battle, and since it couldn't have been his fault, he blamed the sea. So they had a trial and found the sea guilty. I'm not making this up. And then they built a big tower for him to sit on, put his throne on top, and sentenced the sea to a large amount of lashes, and everybody had to line up while the executioner lashed the sea. That's who we're talking about here. Opening scene, the grand palace of Susha. He holds the mother of all parties. It lasted six months. He was also a party boy. There was, he decided it was time to wrap it up. And to wrap it up, he held a seven-day, the party is now ending, party. They did have a rule. The rule was you could drink as much as you wanted. That's a tough rule. 
It was a grand place, a sumptuous display, gold and silver couches on a mosaic of black and white marble. The marble sparkled because they crushed jewels into the marble and worked that into the surface. Everything was over the top in beauty and riches. Queen Vashti was holding her own party for the women of the royal palace when uh, the king, and this is going to be quite a shock, was drunk. And uh, after a six-month party, who could have seen that coming? But he was drunk. And for some reason, he thought, you know, I love my wife. Have you ever seen her? She's beautiful. And he called for her. And Vashti said, no. Now, I've heard sermons where Vashti's modesty would not allow her to be placed on display in front of... We don't know that. It could have been that she was too drunk to move. All we, this, was not, uh, this was not the brain trust. This was the rulers. And often the brain trust aren't the same as the rulers. So she said, no. The king, when he was told, was completely lost. He had no plan B. He was not a decisive man. He was not an original thinker. So he gathered his advisors around him and said, what can I do to save uh, face with my guest? Uh, because I've just told them I'm bringing the queen, and now I'm not. And the advisors were afraid. This is in the Bible. If you read it, you saw this. The advisors were terrified that news of this would get out and that women would find out they didn't have to do everything their husband told them to do, and that would bring chaos to the kingdom. Fair enough, they had a point, but <laughs> not a good point. They decided, they came up, this was their idea. Um, since she will not come before the king, let's make a law that she's not allowed to come before the king. Well, it makes it look like it's our idea. So they had to write it down and make parchments and put royal seals on it and send uh, carriers out to all 127 provinces that went from the north of Africa to India, by the way, saying, the queen cannot come before the king. And then after that was done, somebody informed him that he is now effectively divorced because he didn't put until later, unless I want her. He just, and once you made a law in Persia, you couldn't unmake it. It's kind of like a, a highway toll or a bridge toll that they do to pay for the bridge. You will always pay that toll. That bridge will never be paid for. Their laws were very much the same sort of thing. It was, um, it was pretty tough. Now, they did have that new law that said, let every husband be ruler in his own house, which you can do that if you're king of 127 provinces, but it doesn't look good. We've got to find a new wife for the king. So, he was a young man. He was a party dude, so he had this idea. Let's send writers out to 127 provinces to find the prettiest virgins and then bring them back. And then, after they've gone through some prep, uh, then I walk down, and the ones I like, I'll point to, and then they're to be sent away and get more beauty work on them. Then eventually they come out again, See if they made the finals. And then eventually I'll pick my wife out. And it's not, that's a great idea if you're a young man of no sense. And so if you ever, uh, it's, it's been about 20 years ago now, but Disney actually riffed on this in their, their animated movie, The Emperor's New Groove. 
because he walks down going, yes, no, you're kidding, you know, that sort of, all the way down looking for pretty, and it took it right from this event. Well, they went out, they got them, they rounded them up, and they brought them back to Susha, the royal palace, to undergo a famous one-year beauty treatment under the chief eunuch, Hegai. Um, there are a lot of eunuchs in this story. If you don't know what eunuchs are, um, don't Google it. Uh, <laughs> photos aren't good, um, but you might want to go to a dictionary. How about that? Uh, to, to figure that out. These are, there are a lot of them because when you took over other countries in those days, you took the top guys from those countries and you emasculated them and then you made them serve you as a eunuch. That was a way they did things. And so here's Hegai and he's chief eunuch, which is top eunuch, still not a job you probably went for. His job is to do the various beauty treatments for the women. And there was a special diet because the waif look had not caught on in Persia. They liked hefty women. And so they had to eat a certain amount and they had to be rubbed with certain oils and ointments, the scripture, the scripture says. And then it just thankfully does not describe them, just says various other treatments for women. Enter Mordecai, whose great-grandfather had been taken into captivity when the kingdom of Jehoiakim had fallen. Mordecai raised his uncle's daughter, little star, Esther. That's what the word means. After she became an orphan, Mordecai just took her in. Well, she was very pretty. She was spotted. She was taken into Susha, where Haggai saw her and immediately thought, ooh, there's a lovely one, and put her aside for the special treatments. She was immediately given all of that and given seven servants in the best room in the palace because she was that pretty and Haggai was pretty sure he had a winner with her. Mordecai walks about. He's a very interesting guy, Mordecai. Be a great spy because he's everywhere. He walks about the women's quarters every so often, not inside, that would, he'd get killed that way, but around the outside just to get news about how his little Esther is doing, and after six months of myrrh oil and six months of perfumes and those treatments, she's uh, sent to the king, but he's going to be watching her from a distance to make sure he does all he can for her. Well, they line him up. The king goes through. This, he's been waiting for today. He goes through, and he sees her, and he likes her a lot. So much, he forgets all the other plan. He blows it. They had a plan. You like some, you send them away, they go through all the... Uh, that was the rule. He likes her a lot. He takes the crown off his head and puts it on her. And then says, I will give you half the kingdom. Uh, you know, he was so smitten. Now, if you go through Esther and do the math on how many times he offered her the half the kingdom, <laughs> he would have been living in a closet had she taken him up every single time. But she was a good girl, she didn't. He celebrated. He said, I have found my queen. So the whole plan's gone. Everybody else, you know, is, gets a scholarship to school or something. But they're sent away. And, and she is now the, the queen. And he, uh, he decides to celebrate. This is another shocker. Uh, he threw a party, uh, a, a long party, and he handed out a lot of gifts and such. Now, Esther was listening to Mordecai this, all, all, this, all this time. And that included his advice, don't tell him you're a Jew. So she didn't. That's kind of important. 
it becomes real important later. Now, I've set up a good story here. And it's a great, we're not done with this story, but I want you to put it right here because we need to go over there for a very short time and then come back here and I don't want to do this again. We've got to go over here. There were two eunuchs named Begthan and Teresh that hated the king. We're not told why. My guess is because they were eunuchs. <laughs> put a lot of thought into this. Begthan and Teresh were sitting about one night talking about how much they hate you. Know, I don't like that king. I have to make him English because I don't do Persian. Uh, I, I don't like him. I don't like him either. I like to kill him. Oh, I'm in. You know, that sort of thing, right? <laughs> and Mordecai is hearing him. Mordecai turns him in. And then they get killed and their bodies hung up on a big pole. That's the end of that story right now, but it's kind of important later. So hold on to that. We're going back over here now. Now, Xerxes had an advisor that he particularly liked a lot named Haman. And that was a good position to be in because life was, was worthless to these guys. They didn't mind if they killed a, a, a half a million people because that would get them to lunch 10 minutes earlier. So if you're best friends with the most powerful guy, you're in. And Haman was his special buddy his party buddy, and he promoted him to chief advisor, and he gave him lots of fancy clothes and stuff, and because he was in so tight with Xerxes, everybody wanted to be in so tight with Haman. You get that, right? Got to be best buds with the best bud. So everywhere Haman strode about the town, people flung themselves at his feet. You know, oh, mighty Haman, you're, thou rocketh, or something to that I'm not really sure what they said. But they, they, they flung themselves at his feet. The only person who didn't was a guy named Mordecai. They even asked him. And he wouldn't say why he didn't fling himself down. He just didn't bow down to Haman. Helpful souls decided to tell Haman about this. This is hilarious. It's in the Bible. Helpful souls decided to tell Haman, you know, you've got this non-flinging Jew. And he's not flinging himself down when you walk by. And Haman thought, well, he just hasn't had a proper opportunity. So he arranges to walk by Mordecai a couple of times to give Mordecai a chance to fling. You can't make this up. And Mordecai doesn't. Oh, my goodness. This is not good. So Haman finds out he's a Jew, which means he's not a Persian, which means he's probably not even a real human uh, because only Persians are blessed by God and, or the gods or Xerxes, whatever it is. And therefore, um, since he's a Jew and he will not fling, Haman, being a very measured, cautious type, decided the only appropriate response would be to kill all Jews in 127 provinces. That's who we're dealing with. That's the world of the Old Testament. Now, so he goes to the king, best bud. Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, there's these people live about in this, your kingdom. They don't follow your laws and they don't show us proper respect. And uh, I'd like to kill them, uh, but, but I'll pay for it. And Xerxes knew Haman didn't have any money he didn't take from Xerxes. So Xerxes goes, no, we're buddies, I'll pay for it. <laughs> didn't even hesitate. So they made laws. On a certain day, 
Everybody show up and kill any Jew in your community. All the 127 provinces from North Africa to India, all Jews get... And, and the Jews were unarmed, so they couldn't do anything about it. So he said, and if you kill them, you got to keep their stuff. Now, why did they put it off into the future? They don't have standing armies back then. You had to round them up. It took a while. You guys prepare, go get some stuff, sharpen a stick, whatever you need. But uh, on a certain day, it's going to be kill all the Jews day. Mordecai heard about it, put on sackcloth and ashes, and sat in ashes right in the center of a road outside the women's quarters. The rest of the Jews followed his example, except Esther. She didn't know what was going on. She's, not, she's sequestered. She's not out there in the community. So some of the eunuchs came to her and said, your uncle's out there wearing sackcloth and, and sitting in ashes. Looks awful. And she thought, she's a sweet girl, she thought, well, you know, um, I bet he's run out of money. So she sent him nice stuff to wear and the like. And they came out and they said, here's the nice stuff to wear and the like. And he, um, he goes, no, no, tell her that I'm very upset because of a horrible thing that's about to happen to our people. And she thought, well, what would that be? And so she, they send back out. And he goes, oh, I happen to have a copy of the decree right here. Mordecai was always prepared. And so he sends the copy of the decree in there. and says, um, here's what you need to do. Hathak, tell, tell Esther that she needs to go before the king and beg for the lives of her people. And you need to understand what he was just saying. I, that's offering to commit suicide. Because in Xerxes' court, if you showed up without being asked, they had guys with swords. Their only job was to kill people that showed up without being asked. And that included queens. There was only a certain amount of time. And if the king didn't point his magic little scepter at her, then the head went. That's the, I'm serious people, this is the Old Testament world. This is how awful it is. The, think of the sword guys all day long standing there just waiting for somebody to show up and doesn't get pointed at. It's kind of like the pepper guy at a restaurant. This is all they've got to do. They're just, they're just hovering, waiting for that chance, right? So, except it's, it's more deadly than a pepper guy. I don't mean to, uh, to, to bring it down any. So she said, I'm, I'm afraid. If I go in, he'll kill me. Mordecai was made aware of that fear. And he said in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Who knows but that you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Keep that in your head. He goes, I know if you don't do it, God will find somebody else. But who knows but that you were brought to the kingdom for this. So she says she'll do it, but not without backup. Everybody's got to pray and fast for three days. So all the Jews pray and fast for three days. The big day comes. She goes before the king, and he extends a scepter because he likes her. We, we covered that, I think, adequately. So he covers that, and she's allowed to approach. And he, she puts on the big eyes. Like, hey, ladies, let me explain something. I'm aware that you hate it when men try to manipulate you. I, I get that. I really do. You need to understand something. Men love it when you manipulate them. They really do. They just, that, they're, yay! And, and this, this was, this, this, uh, whenever a wife flirts with a husband, are you kidding me? I and mean, that's that whole manipulation thing works great on us. 
what men need to understand is it doesn't work the other way. That's why there is, um, I don't mean to be indelicate, um, a victorious house, you know, a victorious secret thing, but there's not a, a Bubba's house of briefs. It doesn't go, <laughs> it doesn't work the other way. Now, control yourselves. Um, and I'd like to wipe the tape uh, before it's, uh, anyway. So she puts on the big eyes, bats the eyelashes and like, and he, and he immediately does it once again. I will give you, what do you want? I will give you half my kingdom. And she goes, oh, that's all right. I just like to invite you and your buddy Haman to come and I'll cook for you. Oh, she's flirting with him and going to make him food. This is amazing. He is so happy. He is um, excited. And, and Haman is too, because he's invited on the date. Uh, and, and he's so happy. Here's finally honor and glory and respect and the top of the world. And he's strutting out of the palace right by Mordecai, who won't fling. Still sitting there looking at him, non-flinging. Haman is very upset. Doesn't know what to do. So he goes home, whines to his wife. I go to a party and she likes me and he likes me, but then this just ruins the day. And so being a sweet woman, she immediately thought, oh, we'll just get a pole 75 feet high and hang him on it. And he thought, you know, that's why I married you. You know, you're brilliant, brilliant. It's a brilliant plan. It's a cunning plan. I'll do that. That's what I'll do now. So he went to Xerxes and he asked, uh, could I kill a particular Jew, um, nobody important, and just hang him up on top of a 75-foot pole? And Xerxes goes, sure, why not? Again, that's the world they live in. He said, you can do that next day. Well, they go, they've eaten. This is, by the way, that happened after the meal. I forgot to tell you, they had the meal on the way home, that happens. Um, the king that night, same night, couldn't sleep. We don't know why. Could have been her cooking. We, we, it could have been overcome by the smell of myrrh and whatever other treatments were going on in the room. But for some reason, he couldn't sleep. Now, back then, they didn't have Benadryl, uh, diphenhydramine or any of that sort of thing. So what they did to go to sleep was to read official documents. If you, if you don't know, this really works. <laughs> Go read an IRS form. Just boom, write down. <laughs> so he said, just read some random official documents to me. And so they're reading, and they get to a story of, ha, 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 it's back. Big Thin and Turish, who wanted to kill him, but were found out, and they were turned in. And he says, wow, there was a plot again. Me? Who would? But... Um, but it was taken care of, fair enough. Who, who, told, who turned him in? Well, it was a guy named Mordecai. What would we ever do for him? There's nothing in the record, which meant nothing had been done. Because if it had been done, it would have been in the record. There's nothing done. And he goes, oh, well, that can't. That, that's, we can't allow that to happen. Well, Xerxes is working on a plan. It was morning by then. And Haman shows up to ask the king to allow him to kill Mordecai on the pole and uh, you know, make it all official. But before he can get a word out, Xerxes is going, I, 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 I. what if the king 
has a special friend that he really wants to honor. And Haman's thinking, that's me. Oh, boy. And um, he really wants to do, show the guy he appreciates him. What should he do for him? Haman's trying to think real quick, but he doesn't come up with a lot. He says, well, you'd let him ride your horse and wear some of your clothes and have somebody lead him, uh, the horse around as he's riding on it, saying, this is the guy the king likes a lot. And Xerxes goes, that's brilliant. That's exactly what I want you to do for Mordecai. What? So I have to go up, pick up Mordecai, dust him off, put on the king's clothes, and all day long, Haman has to walk around going, this is the guy the king likes. This is his favorite person right here. And he barely gets time when he turns in the horse and gets his deposit back, and then to run back home and get all cleaned up before, because... Esther had asked them to come back for a second night and that's when she'd tell him what she really had on her mind. So they got to go back the second night and Haman gets to be invited but he's got to run home. He's had a horrible, the worst day ever. He's dressing uh, real quick whenever his wife looks out and says, the eunuch's here. Eunuchs would walk you around places too. So it's like your cab. You know, the eunuch's here, honey. You better hurry up. So they, they got, got him all ready and he's, he's, he's going to dinner maybe this will save his day so they're eating the king once again whatever you want sweetie I will give you whatever you want even half the kingdom and she goes you know all I really want is for you not to kill me and he says what and she said there's a man that wants to kill me and all of my people he said who would do that and she goes hey man you don't see him. <laughs> he didn't know she was a Jew. This was news to him. The king doesn't know what to do. He is so angry. He's stomping. He's, uh, you know, and that sort of thing. And then he stomps out for a minute to gather himself. Haman, quick thinker, flings himself on Esther. Uh, he's probably trying to fling at a feet, but he missed. He landed on her. And that's when Xerxes walked back in. <laughs> that's bad timing. And Xerxes is going, what, what, what am I, what, what am I, and the chief eunuch standing by a window just ha looked out and said, oh, look at that. There's a 75-foot pole with no body on top of it. <laughs> Shame nobody's dead on top of that thing. That's a good pole. <laughs> There's some craftsmanship in that pole right there. <laughs> so Haman was killed and put on top of the pole. What about the Jews? They couldn't countermand the order, so he made a new law that said the Jews could get arms and protect themselves. So imagine the battle was a lot less impressive than people expected it to be. It was going to be one-sided. For such a time as this, Years ago, I lived in West Virginia. It's where I get the accent and all. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a little church that I was working at the university there and speaking at this church. And this church had a history of dividing angrily every four or five years. And so I just, we put up two big 
blackboards, really, and we taped maps to them, one of the city and one of the county. We asked everybody to come up and put, I don't remember the colors, like a red pen where you live and a blue pen where you work or go to school on both of these, the city and the county. When they were done, they all sat down, and I looked at them, and I said, look at your maps. For such a time as this, you have been placed everywhere, all strategic areas, to take this place for Jesus, or you can fight each other. It's your choice. You can either live for Jesus. Look where you've been placed. Look at you. You might be thinking, all right, you know, I'm not a public speaker or the like. I'm not either. I didn't learn this stuff. I would have done it better and left out the Baba thing. I do believe that I'm here for such a time as this, but I believe you are too. This group was already prepared before I got here. That always kind of tickles me. People, was, I was this weekend doing a staff retreat, and one of the, uh, the elders' questions for me was, how did you uh, work 4th Avenue through change? I said, I didn't. They were already in the curve. I just jumped in and held on. But we're here. You may not know this, but yeah, we get the hate mail every now and then, but we also get a ton of people writing in saying, thank you, how do we do this? We are here for this time. We are here in a place where we will either do what God needs us to do for the kingdom, or he will have to raise up somebody else. I don't want him to raise up anybody else. I don't want... I don't, I don't want to let my life not matter. I want to do it. Whatever God wants us to do. And I believe he's called us to preach the freedom of Christ. The grace and mercy of Christ. And the supremacy of love above all law. That's why we're here. So yeah, there might be a battle every now and then, but hey, we were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And it could be that we might be committing suicide here, there, or the other, but we're all going to die anyway, right? You're aware of that. Might as well do it right. For such a time as this, we have been placed in various positions and around the city, do we believe that God is still active in our life? Do we believe that the God that arranged all of this in Esther? And are we humble enough to step forward? Let me tell you a bit of the history. I mentioned this in E-Blast. I said, I'd tell you. It's not in this book. Later on, we found the list of Xerxes' wives. Vashti is listed as the, the mother of his heirs. Esther is not mentioned. What happened? Does that mean that's not true? No, I believe this is true. But it means that doing this cost Esther her place in history. His place, her place in the heart. She didn't get half the kingdom. She didn't get a mention. They wrote her out of history because of the embarrassment and the pain, humiliation that all this caused. Vashti somehow came back in. Are you willing to live and work and do whatever God has called you to do in this time, in this place, with what you've got in your hand, even if it means that after that you're done? I think we need to be Esther. I think we can save God's people and his kingdom moving forward in this place. I, in fact, rejoice 
We're about to sing, in fact, as we close, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. One of my favorite songs, frankly. But when we sing it, I want you to understand why we sing it. We weren't born in Persia. We weren't born in in a thousand places where we could not have made a difference. God, for some reason, chose you to be here in this place today, free, capable of doing what he wants you to do for his kingdom. We are here in the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen, church? Then let us rejoice.